It's an awesome day in God's presence today. Amen. Amen. An awesome day. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we've been talking about prayer. The topic for this month has been prayer. So everyone that um, has come up to speak uh, probably touched upon that um, in, their, in their word. So today we're going to round it out. We're going to finish it up. And we're going to do it together, okay? So it's going to be interactive. So you guys, you know, shout me down. You know, whatever it is that you, however it is that you want to contribute. Praise God. So I have a question. And you don't have to raise your hand. But just think about it. I'll probably be able to tell by looking at your faces. <laughs> Has anyone ever been in love before? Or infatuated, have a crush, a big crush? I know that all of us, I don't see any, any young children, I know we all know what that's like. Even if we're a teenager, we've already experienced that before. It's that feeling that makes you do everything that it takes to see your crush, to get them to notice you. Remember that? to bump into them, to know where they are at all times of the day so you can stage running into them. Who knows what that's like? You don't have to raise your hand. Well, you could raise your hand if you want. <laughs> have you ever been in a dating relationship and had your friends or family complain that they never see you anymore because they've taken second fiddle to that person? <laughs> Yes, that's because at that time, that person was the center of your attention, right? When you wake up in the morning, their face pops up into your head. That person at that time, is, it's almost like they're the central focus of your emotional energy. Put plainly, they're the desire of your heart. And being close to them is one of your top priorities, if not even your top one. Somebody say amen. Amen. This month's topic, as I said, has been prayer, which is really conversation with God. Intimate time with God, right? Quality time. Kind of like going out on dates with God, except you're not going out, you're in your prayer closet. Or wherever you are. You could be taking a walk in the park and having this date with God, right? But why is it so difficult to seek God? Why does it seem so difficult to get to know God versus getting to know somebody else, to, to hear him out of all the noise, okay? In the beginning, when we first come to Jesus, a lot of us have this kind of really intense spiritual encounters, you know what I mean? When we first come to the Lord, it's like, oh my goodness, it's bliss. You know, we feel his presence, he calls us, he draws us in, he speaks very specifically into our life, and we are just enamored, we are just so in awe and we can't believe that this God of the universe is actually talking to us. We like to call it the honeymoon phase. I think Brenda and I have talked about this before. The honeymoon phase with God, right? It, isn't, it doesn't seem hard to hear him. We hear him speaking. We sense his presence. Then, as time passes, we start to feel God less and less, right? And we get a little impatient and frustrated. But... What's really happening, and we don't realize it, is that now God is trying to get us to seek him for ourselves, right? To show him that we want him. 
In the beginning, he finds us, and then it's our turn to find him. Let me tell you a little bit about what my journey of intimacy with God has been like. When I first started my prayer life, I was 12, and I had remembered something that I heard in Sunday school as a kid. The teacher was talking about prayer, and I will never forget it. She said to us that prayer was just talking to God. That's all it was, simply. It was having a conversation with him, like you would with any of your friends. And then she told us, just like you would talk to any of your friends, you know, you call up your friend to get stuff off your chest, to tell them what's happened during the day, any BFFs in here? To update them on important developments. Oh my gosh, this happened. First person that you call, right, is you call your, your best friend and you just talk to them. And in some of your cases, it could also be your spouse. But they're the first ones to get, you know, the breaking news developments. And that's how I started, after hearing this woman speak to us that way. I said, well, you know, it's just talking to God. So I was 12, and I had decided that on my way to the bus stop every morning, on the way to school, I would just have a conversation with God. And so I started. As I walked to the bus stop, I would talk to God about anything and everything, whatever was on my mind. And um, that led me to the most profound blessing of my life, which is an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, in which I experienced some of the most beautiful and fulfilling moments with God. And that also began the process in which, little by little, he molded me and fashioned me into the woman that I am today. And we'll get back to that a little bit later. So needless to say, I had a wonderful prayer life in my teens, um, one where I personally, you know, began to understand and know God as my father. And um, I came to him, like, you know, just as any child would come to their, to their parent, um, full confidence, and I experienced his love and his embrace. And um, as I shared my heart with him about things, when I did something wrong, Father, I would come to him. I wouldn't, you know, I just had such confidence in him that his open arms were there to receive me. Um, and that's the way that it should be because he is our father. But there was one day, probably in my early 20s, when I felt the Lord speak to my heart within our intimate time. And, you know, in so many words, what I was sensing was that you know, I've known God as my father all this time, but um, it was almost like God was telling me, now you're going to get to know me more intimately, you know? And, you know, I had related to him as father, and we had this great relationship, um, but I was entering into a new phase in my life, and, and that's kind of where what I realized. I knew I had reached a stage of maturity um, spiritually, where my relationship was God, with God was going to evolve and become a little different and go to a deeper level. Um, I guess also with age that comes, you understand more things, you're more mature. But what I didn't know at that moment was that there was going to be more required of me in this deeper level. You know why? Because God is the marrying kind. Amen. And when you marry, there's a covenant. You are literally, when you get married, you're attaching your life to this person. 
And there are requirements and expectations between you and that person that, you know, that exist and that have not existed before in any other previous relationship, right? It's a totally new set of expectations. And from the moment that we're born, we're all destined for that. We're all on our way to that place of maturity with God. And it's funny because when we reach young adulthood, like somewhere within our late teens, early 20s, um, we feel that because we, you know, oh my goodness, I'm so much more in tune with myself. I know so many more things, you know. We're, we just can't wait to be grown. You know, we're like, I got this. I got this. You know what I mean? Like, I know how to be an adult now. I know how to do my own thing. I can be in charge of myself. And, um, you know, we just think that we're going to be so awesome at everything and everything is going to be so simple and easy. But the truth is that although we look the part at that point and we've got the act pretty much down pat too, when the real responsibility comes, the work, the effort, it's kind of like almost like a rude awakening for us, you know? It's like we want all the perks of being grown, making our own decisions, only answering to ourselves, playing house, you know, with, a, with another person, being able to enjoy to, you know, like adult perks, like driving or whatever it might be, living on your own. But doesn't life cause us to learn very quickly that you can't have adult fun without adult responsibility? Isn't that so true? But I'm not here to talk to you about young adulthood. I'm here to talk to you about young spiritual adulthood. Okay? And don't be fooled by a number because spiritual maturity um, is not denoted by age. You know, you can have someone that's very young and very mature in the Lord. And then you can also have someone who's a lot older who hasn't really progressed because there are blockages within themselves. Um... You know, and as Christians, we can have the knowledge of God and be Christians for many, many years, but we might not have matured very much during that time. So just keep that in mind as we go through the session and um, kind of like, even right now, like maybe take an inventory of sorts within yourself. Where am I in my spiritual maturity? It's a really good question to think about because sometimes we do need to take inventory in order to see what's kind of like happening within um, and to know where to go from there. And the Holy Spirit helps us out with that. Um, and so coming to this place of spiritual maturity is kind of what we're going to talk about today. So if there was a title for today's message, it would be, and this is basically depending on your gender, it's time to put on my big boy pants. It's time to put on my big girl pants. Everybody stand up and kind of like say, it's time to put on my big girl pants. Time to put on my big boy pants. <laughs> Woo. You guys can be seated. It's funny, isn't it? <laughs> That's the one that came to mind. What can I tell you? So there's this kind of breakdown of the word, of, the word intimacy that sometimes people use. They say intimacy means into me you see, right? You've heard that one before, right? So we're talking about seeing into God and who he is. And at, earlier I mentioned how hard that seems sometimes to press into his presence, 
to get to know him, especially with all the distractions, crazy schedules, microwave and popcorn expectations, you know, that are so inculcated within us, especially in city people. But I also think that part of the difficulty for some of us can be our perspective of God. How do we see God? You know, I, I think a lot of times we don't treat him like a person. We treat him like this far, far away entity that has no emotions and who basically makes decisions for us and our lives and the earth, you know, in a very aloof kind of way, you know, high and mighty. A person who really doesn't think too much about us, right? That's why I love that Israel song that says, um, who am I that you are mindful of me? And that's actually scripture. And, you know, we see him as someone who's just way too big, far too big to really be interested in knowing us intimately. What would God want with me? What interest does he have knowing who I am or being intimate with me? It's kind of like judging a book by its cover. How can we ever truly get to know someone if we're getting our information from secondhand sources? Like other people's perspectives or even our skewed perspectives because our perspectives are not 100% on point either when we start out with the Lord. And we feel guilty, you know, I mean, if we feel guilty, rather, we feel like we don't deserve to be close to God. So we never seek him out because there, we don't have that hope for the open arms that are already there and so ready to receive us, right? No, the only way that we can truly know anything about God is by seeking him via his word, which is his written representation and his recorded history, by practicing his presence through worship moments, like with music or singing, like the one that we had today, or even at home, because you can do that at home too. You, it, not only here is not the only place where we can have a worship moment, or via prayer, which is, like we said before, having a conversation with God. And knowing him is the only way to become intimate with him. You can never become intimate with someone that you don't spend quality time with, right? How many ever, and you don't have to answer this, were in a relationship where you felt that the other person didn't really invest their time in you the same way that you wanted them to or that you invested in them? Didn't you have to come to a decision at some point? This is just not worth it. You know, and this person is not really... Um, it, it, you know, it takes the two of us and they're not really seeking me out. Well, I say the same thing, um, you know, and it's so true. You can't become, you can never become intimate with someone that you don't spend intimate time with. It's said, this is, a, this is a saying, that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, yet expecting a different result. So what I will say to you today is if the results keep coming up the same for you in your walk with God, then stop doing more of the same. Do something different. Turn to your neighbor and say, do something different. And I guarantee you that if you do, your life will change because it will have no choice. Okay? Okay, so I want to talk about Kind of like nutrition for a second. <laughs> she said, uh-oh. Nothing deep, but what happens to people when they're malnourished? Anyone? Go ahead. 
They become unhealthy and weak. Very good. Anyone else? They become sick. Somebody said death. Death can result also from being malnourished. Absolutely. Anyone else? They become, yes, they can become anemic, which is also a form of, of illness as well. They can become, well, that's, right there, that's a visual. Emaciated, which means that you know, the bones are protruding because of how thin the person is. There's no, there's no fat there within, you know, so that they can, you know, be full, fill out their bodies. So, what about if we juxtapose physical nutrition with spiritual nutrition? Interesting thought, right? What, what would I look like? We could all think about this in the spiritual realm. What would I look like in the spiritual realm? Um, kind of like taking the thought of how much I invest in my spirituality. Okay, so think about that for a second. Because when we're spiritual, spiritually, well actually I'll say physically first, when we're physically malnourished, we know that all of these things result. So what happens? You're not able to perform the things that you're normally able to perform in the same way, right? Maybe your speech will be slurred, you'll have trouble remembering things. I mean, there are a host of things that happen when people are malnourished. You will not be able to function at your highest capacity physically as a person when you're malnourished, right? So what about in the spiritual? Isn't it the very same concept? <laughs> and you know, I just wanted to get a send, um, I just wanted to use this funny app. And I really, at, at this point, we can't really use it because of the fact that um, we're not set up to actually put it on the screens. But I can pass my phone around a little bit just so you guys just get a quick sense of, because it reminded me of, you know, those funhouse mirrors? Yeah. You're seeing yourself, but you're not seeing yourself, right? You're seeing something different. So just quickly look at this, and you can kind of scroll through a little bit, but quickly pass it along just so that everyone is able to, and move it around so you can see. And that's what it reminded me of, because we have two parts of ourselves, or I should say three, because we're actually, we're actually body, soul, and spirit. So um, there is our body, our physical body, but there's also our spiritual self. There, there is our spirit. And... You know, we see every day the physical part of everyone, you know, here in this physical realm, but there's also the spiritual. And what would we look like, you know, if we looked into that mirror, what would we see? And again, based upon how much that we actually invest in our spirituality. Because when we're spiritually malnourished, too, our spiritual senses weaken. So that's a big problem right there if you want to talk about intimacy because how am I supposed to get in tune with a spiritual being if my spirit is malnourished, if my spirit is weak? And we're not talking about something that is foreign to us because we are spirit beings. So it's just how much we actually exercise that part of us. We know through speaking in tongues or when we feel the, the spirit of God, we kind of understand those things. People who don't know of God, they think about 
out-of-body experiences or when, you know, when people kind of like have these trips to heaven, you know, and then come back. Um, you know, and even, even in the world, there is, there is um, an awareness of the spiritual because there, we, we see it in these movies, you know, where you have this phenomena coming up and um, even shows now, like they have reality TV shows about this, which is crazy because they don't know what they're messing with, but they do it anyway. We know that we have a spirit. We know that this is not it. And I think a lot of people inherently know that when they die, there's something else. You know what I mean? It's not just this life and then kaput. Some people don't believe that. Some people choose to believe for their reasons, their own reasons, that, you know, after this life is done, after our physical is over, we are over. But it's not true. <laughs> I see some people laughing over there. <laughs> Okay, so I want to read this scripture, and it's going to be 1 Timothy 4, and it's going to be verses 7 through 10. So if you have your Bible, you can get it. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 through 10. And you guys can just say amen when you have it, and also... In the back there, they can, you guys can let me know if, you, if you've got it. I like this version of it. I picked the message, and you'll, you'll hear why. First Timothy 4, 7 through 10. And it says, you've been raised on the message of the faith and have followed sound teaching. Now pass this on, oh, I'm sorry, now pass on this counsel to the followers of Jesus there and you'll be a good servant of Jesus. Stay clear of silly stories that get dressed up as a religion. Exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. Workouts in the gymnasium are useful, but a disciplined life in God is far, far more so, making you fit both today and forever. You can count on this. Take it to heart. This is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. We're banking on the living God, Savior of all men and women, especially believers. Amen. So don't you love that translation of it? No spiritual flabbiness, please. <laughs> Exercise daily in God. And how do we do that? We do that by what we just mentioned before. Via our prayer, our times of worship in God's presence, and by reading his word. And the more that we do that, the more that we will be able to function in our, spiritual, in our spirituality and also be able to hear God and connect with God. I need a volunteer. Anybody? <laughs> I see people going like this. They're like, what do you want me to do? Come here. What's your name, honey? I'm sorry? Eloisa. Everybody, Eloisa. <laughs> so here's what we're going to get Eloisa to do. And this is kind of a little bit of a, an example of what it means to be close and far or weak and strong in the spiritual realm and how that affects our ability to hear God. Anyone can think of a phrase that we want her to say? Two words, three words? Huh? Anyone? 
I got this? Okay. So here's what you're going to say. You're going to come over here, and you're going to say, I got this. I got this. All right? I got this. Now go to the middle of where the chairs are and say, I got this. Don't say it loud. Just say it the, the normal way you're saying it right now. A few more chairs down. A few more chairs down. A few more chairs down. All the way to the back now. Now, go into the next room and do the same thing. Did anybody hear that? You can come back in, Eloisa. Let's give her a hand. So this is the analogy. The further away that she got from us, the less we were able to hear her. Right? So kind of like the further away from God that we get spiritually or the weaker that our spirit is, the less we'll be able to hear him. You know, on the other, on the flip side, the closer that we get to God, the more we're able to hear his voice, the clearer his voice will come out, the more we'll be able to sense what he's saying until we're getting very specific and strong messages from God. And it's a walk with him. So we'll hear from him every day. We'll spend time with him every day. And in that way, we'll build up our spiritual muscles, right? And the more that we do that, the more we're going to sense him and feel him. See, God is always there. Mickey, don't look at me at all. Just, like, look past me. Don't look at me. <laughs> She's having a hard time not looking at me. <laughs> Whatever I do, you will not look at me, okay? Okay. Mickey. Mickey. Don't say yes. Mickey. Mickey, I love you. Mickey, answer me. Mickey, do you hear me? I'm here. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you to spend time in my presence. I'm waiting for you to commune with me. I desire to know you more. I love you, Mickey. 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 What, is this, what does this look like? If you ever feel alone... If you ever feel like you, you, you can't hear God's voice, you're not hearing him, that is, that is a simple adjustment that you have to make in your life. The same thing is when we don't feel well physically, right? We feel, oh, man, I'm flabby. I'm not in shape. I'm not really feeling myself. When I go up a flight of stairs, I'm like huffing and puffing. Like, what is this, you know? But um, what does that take? That takes a simple adjustment. I have to work out my body. I have to get my body in motion, I have to get my body used to doing the work. And you know what? That, that's one thing that I experienced recently. Um, when I would go up a flight of stairs, I'm, I'm like, why am I winded right now, you know? But I started doing squats. <laughs> and um, let me tell you, it was like I didn't even break a sweat. You know what I mean? Just You don't even break a sweat. Why? Because the muscles are worked out. 
you know, and it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. It takes a slight, not even a slight, but whatever it takes for you to carve out time in your day and in your schedule to get together with God, to, to, to drown out all the noise and to forget about all the noise and the chaos and everything that's going on and just be with him. I know in this generation and being, you know, uh, living in the city, even commuting and all this stuff, and New York City has a reputation for people just literally like a herd of cattle going from one place to the next. You know, if you don't get out of there, somebody's way, they can mow you down in Manhattan. We have to slow down. We have to slow down. We have to slow down because we're talking about eternity here. See, this here and now is not permanent. This is just a dress rehearsal for the real thing. Thank you again, Eloisa. Okay. So, regarding people's perception of God getting in the way of their pursuit of God, I decided that we would start kind of like a little examination of God together here today. And that will give us a head start so that we can continue that journey at home and in our daily lives. So let's, let's start with this. He is a person, not an object. He has feelings and emotions. He is not a distant, detached, indifferent God. On the contrary... He chose to enter into a war and invest great sacrifice to redeem us or buy us back, which he totally didn't need to do. He was seated on a throne next to his heavenly father. I'm talking about Jesus now. God had his son right next to him at his right hand. He didn't need to send his son to suffer the atrocities that he did. But he did so. He became our hero. That shows and demonstrates an immense amount of passion, does it not? In fact, the beautiful artistry that we see every day displayed in creation is more proof of that passion. And even the passion, going back, just look at the beautiful things that we see in nature. Just look at even our own physical bodies and the wonders the wonders that we see demonstrated in that. How many know some, any artists? Now, artists are musicians. Usually they're kind of like really passionate and really quirky and really intense, right? Well, our God is an artist. And our God is passionate. Even the passion that we possess is directly fashioned from his own. The Bible says that we were made in his image, right? He is not a distant, heartless ruler. The Bible says that, number one, God is our Father. And we're going to go quickly to Genesis 1, verse 26. And we're going to do 26 to 28. Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. And it says, God spoke. Let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. 
and every animal that moves upon the face of God, I mean, upon the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. Prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. We can break down the scripture in so many ways to speak to the fact that God is not uninterested in us. He's very interested in us. In fact, he created an entire globe, and then he placed us on it and told us to be in charge of it. He fashioned us literally with the palm of his hand. He fashioned us literally with his own hand. He created us. He is our father. Now, the Holy Spirit is our companion, our confidant, our comforter, our friend. We know that the Holy Spirit fellowships with us because of the scriptures. The Holy Spirit prays with us and intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit loves us. The Holy Spirit warns us, chastises us. And we know also by the scriptures because the Bible says that any parent that does not chastise their child does not love their child. The Holy Spirit rejoices with us and over us. He rejuvenates us. He heals us. He delivers us. He teaches us. He reveals mysteries to us. He seeks after us. He leads and guides us. He is our companion, our confidant, our comforter, and our friend. Is that not a God who is interested in us and who loves us? That's our God. The Bible says that Jesus is the husband of the church, that we, the church, are the bride of Christ. That speaks for itself. No one is going to marry you that does not love you. No one is going to marry you that does not want to covenant with you and spend the rest of their lives with you. And in this case, it would be eternity. Just want to, like, meditate on that for a second. We are his bride. He loves us, and he wants to know us intimately. And then we know that God loved us so much that he forgave us in spite of all our failures and chose to take on our punishment as his own. I'm going to read a quote by someone named R.C. Sproul. It says, and this is deep, so just listen. Nowhere in scripture is the reality of God's wrath more sharply manifested than in the forsaking of his Messiah. To be cursed of God is to be cut off from his presence and all of his benefits. The incarnate Christ, who enjoyed intimate personal fellowship with the Father, such as no man had ever enjoyed, was suddenly and completely cut off. Once the sin of man was imputed to him, he became the virtual incarnation of evil. The load he carried was repugnant to the Father. God is too holy to even look at iniquity. God the Father turned his back on, upon the Son, cursing him to the pit of hell while on the cross. Here was the Son's descent into hell. Here, the fury of God raged against him. His scream was the scream of the damned for us. So, could we gather from that and from the scriptures that we looked at whether or not 
God is interested in us, whether or not God loves us, how much he loves us, whether or not we are important to him, whether or not he wants to know us. I'm going to read a short excerpt of a story that I love called My Heart, Christ's Home. In this story, this person has received the Lord as their savior. So Jesus comes into the person's heart and he comes into each room. Imagine Jesus coming into the rooms of your heart. Imagine you saying, here it is, Lord, here's the key. Open it up and come in. What would he find? And the story is so interesting because a lot of different things are discovered by Jesus upon entering this person's heart. And you should definitely read it sometime. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it's a beautiful story about what it really means to have a surrendered heart to Christ and to let him come in. Good, bad, and ugly, and do what it is that only he knows what to do so well. It says, from the dining room, we walked into the living room. This room was intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can fellowship together. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I will be here every morning. Meet me here, and we will start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the case. We would open it and read together. He would unfold to me the wonders of God's saving truths. My heart sang as he shared the love and the grace he had towards me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why? I'm not sure. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This was not intentional, you, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. I remember one morning rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I passed the living room and noticed that the door was open. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought to myself, he is my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come as my savior and friend, and yet I'm neglecting him. I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in. With downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at great cost. I value your fellowship. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, do it for mine. The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart, but every day, 
Find time when, with your Bible and in prayer, you may be together with him. Hallelujah. Whenever I read that story, it just breaks my heart. It just, oh, oh. It just gets me to see that image of him in the living room waiting when, you know what I mean? I'm just running down the stairs, ready to burst out the door. <sighs> so, I want to tell you that at only, going back to my own testimony, at a very young age, at a tender young age, I remember deciding that I wanted God. And it was a determination. Nothing was going to stop me. So I remember at age 15 that I would literally kind of like throw myself on the floor and just kind of, you know, prostrate before God, just wanting so badly to experience him in a different way, in a deeper way, in a new way. And I was so young at that time. I was only 15. And, you know, in the beginning, there were stumbles. Why? Because I was building up my spiritual strength. So sometimes I would be kind of like, you know, knees on my knees over the bed and, and I might fall asleep, you know, <laughs> and then wake up a little while later like, oops, I fell asleep. But you know what? Through the stumbles and, you know, and the little bumps, I developed, like I was saying before, something that has been indescribable, absolutely indescribable to the human language. And it has done more for me. It's so profound. More for me than I could even describe. And it affects every area of, of your life. It really does. Every single area is affected by God. I often say that you want to get married, I, I tell people, you want to get married, get in God's face. Because the quicker you get in God's face, boom. Suddenly, someone is right, right there in front of you. Why, why do you think that is? Anyone have a thought? Could it be because we've already established that intimacy with God that now God knows that we are ready to establish that intimacy with someone else? Could it be that God knows now that if we were to connect our lives to somebody else, that even though we were connecting our lives with them, our relationship with them would not keep us from him and crowd him out? And I always say that. I always say that. Brenda, I remember her saying that one day she was, she was um, you know, I mean, in the shower. She's like, you can say it. And suddenly, you know, it was like the Lord began to tell her, you know, there's somebody coming into your life. And I remember that Brenda, you know, she was always in church. She was, you know, focused. She was, you know, the way I like to say it is, you know, you're focused on God. And, but those people end up, you know what I mean? Things begin to happen in your life and sort of manifest and develop very quickly when your relationship with God is, is in order. I heard this quote in a movie called, and I'm sure some of you have seen it, um, He's Just Not That Into You. Well, in the, in the story, the main characters, um, there's a girl who likes this guy. And he's her friend. Um, he does not know it, but little by little he's falling for her. But in the meantime, he's giving her advice so that she doesn't get her heart broken and that she doesn't keep giving herself to people that don't really want to invest in her, don't really love her. And he says, when a guy wants you, he will make it happen. 
Guys, is that right or is that not? If you do not want to be with somebody, then it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Like the person, if the person is not showing you that they desire you, then it's probably not going to happen. But when a guy is smitten and he knows, he will do anything to make it happen, right? No ifs, ands, or buts. Actions speak louder than words, right? And there's no need to beat ourselves up about, you know, having a difficulty getting into God's presence because, again, we're strengthening our spirits and we're under a whole lot of opposition, like the whole epic battle for your soul, you know what I mean, kind of thing. But essentially, know that nothing can stop you from achieving what you really want and from reaching your goals. The choice is always yours. And so your success is in your hands. The proof is in the pudding. When people really desire something, they make it happen. Okay? Like you married guys sought after your woman or you're dating. You, you, you guys who, you know, who are dating have invested more than like a couple of weeks or even a couple of months actually pursuing <laughs> your, your woman, your wife. Those of you who have sought after degrees and earned them or some of you who sought after a work position and worked your way up to it. You can assess your level of determination to know God by your comparing it to your pursuit of other interests in your own life that you sought after and achieved. It helps you to get a little bit of perspective to that. And that is where we get back to maturity. Who's seen The Bachelor? Does anybody watch that show? Who hasn't seen that show? In The Bachelor, basically, it's a reality TV show where a young man who is usually a very good catch, he usually has a very good job, good looking, um, has all of these women that kind of like he's supposed to meet and spend time with, and at the end, he's supposed to propose to one of them. So with those shows, you always know that there are different kinds of girls, right? There are the gold diggers who just want to get with a guy and, you know, have their future made. Um, you know, there, there are different kinds of women. There are women who are very, like, immature, you know, and kind of, like, selfish. And then there are some girls who actually happen to be the marrying kind. So, if this was The Bachelor, are you the gold digger? Are you the one who loves to receive God's benefit, but you just... Don't have it in you to spend the time with him? Right, do you seek after his hand, but not his face? Are you always running to meetings and here and there, you know, jumping from church to church because you want the newest, you know, rhema word, you know, but yet, you know, you just can't get your intimacy with him, you know, settled and, and developed in your life? Or are you the immature woman, the woman who, when the storms of life comes, just gets so frustrated that she doesn't want to deal with it? Anytime something happens, oh, God doesn't love me, I'm whatever, I don't even care anymore, you know, whether I go to church or not, this is not really working out for me. Do you have feelings of frustration, like, why God? Why is this happening to me? And does that come in between? your relationship with God? Does your relationship with God change? Or is it modified in some way when you go through things? Or are you the girl he marries? 
Are you ready to walk with him in the ups and the downs? What is it that they say? Through sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, through everything that may come your way. And do you believe in him as your husband, that he will be able to help you navigate through the storms of life, that although life may not be perfect, you will always return back to that prayer closet and you will always lift your hands in worship. You will always love him no matter what. Amen. Hallelujah. You might as well be honest with God and talk to him about what you're going through because he already knows everything that you've done. After that, I mean, after all, that's the whole reason why he saved us. He's, he is going to complete the job and finish the work in us that he started. Amen? I'm thinking about the woman at the well. There was a Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus asked her for water in the scriptures. And she's wondering why he's asking her for water. And he tells her, you should ask me for the living water that will allow you to never thirst again. If you knew who I was, you would have asked me for that living water. And that is the difference in our lives, brothers and sisters. That's why people have this insatiable need to fill up their lives with stuff. Work, entertainment, relationships. They have an appetite that never gets satisfied because it's not living water. And they continue to thirst again, to have that gnawing sense of something missing in their life. Well, this, this intimacy with God is the cure-all for that. And it's the reason to anchor us as a person in our lives. And it's... It results in a wonderful journey with God where not only do we become the person that we want to be, but we also achieve the things that he has in mind for us to achieve. Jesus is not your usual bachelor. In The Bachelor, a woman gets a rose if she's going to continue on to the next episode, just so you know. But in this version, anybody who wants to can get a rose. He says, if you acknowledge who I am and what I've done and let me take care of you, then you will have my rose for eternity.